what really bound us together more than anything was that clarity of purpose. You know, we rose to the occasion where the world needed some trusted, fair-minded, non-partisan information and news on things that really mattered day to day. The power of that, I think, was transformational. From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who've reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Matt Crabtree, the founder of Positive Momentum, and on today's show, we meet Lara Burra, the CEO of the legendary The Economist Group. Since 1843, The Economist has been taking part in what it calls a severe contest between intelligence which presses forward and an unworthy, timid ignorance obstructing our progress. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Today, The Economist Group powers global progress through four core brands. The famous newspaper, beloved by more than 1.1 million subscribers and 56 million social media followers. Economist Intelligence, which provides data analysis and forecasting to businesses and policymakers. Economist Impact, which empowers businesses, governments and foundations with research, events, advertising and partnerships. And finally, Economist Education, which offers courses written by expert practitioners, helping students and executives to advance their careers in this increasingly globalised and complicated world. Now, following another year of incredible content and some more iconic newspaper covers, including the US presidential election, the raging climate crisis, and of course, the ongoing pandemic, to name but a very few, the latest set of commercial results revealed operating profits up by an impressive 27%, together with record subscriber growth of 9%. Now, Lara joined The Economist Group as CEO in the autumn of 2019, not quite knowing what was around the corner, uh, and that followed a global career that's included senior executive roles with Informa, Essential PLC, CPA Global, and even the Financial Times, which we're going to learn actually has a bit of a circular relationship from when they were owned by Pearson, which we'll hear more about on the podcast in a while. But I started out, as we always do on Meet the CEO, by asking Lara, why did she become a CEO? Well, Matt, I think I always knew that I wanted to run something. I grew up in a, a family surrounded by entrepreneurs, and I thought it, I always thought I'd, be an, I'd end up running something. Um and then when the phone rings and somebody asks you, oh, do you want to be the CEO of the Economist Group? I think there's only one obvious answer. So I can that's imagine. probably the best answer. <laughs> <laughs> I can very, very well imagine. Uh, yes, it's, um, it is quite the brand to be the CEO of, especially through a rather interesting period of time, right? Yes. We're in transformation uh, like the rest of the media world, but probably the rest of the world, really. And uh, um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're winning more than we're losing, which is my definition of success. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good definition of success. Now, um, I also always ask our um, CEO guests how you kind of live your life, you know, just to kind of see behind the curtain um, a little bit. Uh, what part of your day, if there is one, Lara, do you preserve at all costs is kind of almost sacrosanct to you? The morning. So for two reasons. One is that I do my best thinking in the morning. I also prepare for my day. Um, occasionally, I have time for yoga. It's my time. And I, I started that when I had kids at a very young age, and you had to get up before them. Um, and, and also, I'm Mediterranean. And so the morning is not my best time to be in full action. So if I can help it, meetings start at nine. <laughs> 
Very good. And have you always been like that? Has that always been? I have. I have always been like that. Of course, you know, when you're on projects for clients, that doesn't always work. But now that I'm in control, I I try, unless there's an emergency, to protect that time for for me, for the family. You know, breakfast is an important time too. But it's tricky with time zones because, of course, you've got a very, very global business. Yes. How do you manage the time zone demand on you? Well, I think that's a very good question. I mean, of course, in the days of travel, that was easier. You would just land in the time zone. You do all the work on that time zone. Now, of course, we're on Zoom. And Asia, of course, is the trickiest for me out of the um, UK. Uh, and there I do make exceptions for my, from my 9 a.m. rule. Um, and also, you know, I have a great leader in that market. So I think that's one of the secrets of success. Have some people who who can take care of things while you do yoga. <laughs> well, we're coming. We're going to come to that very question. Uh, not yoga question, but the question about teams in a little sure. while. But let's, let's uh, carry on with the route that we have planned, which is... It's been a very challenging couple of years, as we all know. But I wonder, whilst you've been CEO, you know, is it the pandemic that's been the biggest challenge that you've encountered or, or have there been others uh, along the way? And I guess the real question is, what, what have you learned um, from those challenges that you've faced? Let's look at, I'm sure who, whoever else you had on this wonderful program has had the same answer in terms of the pandemic. It, you know, it has to be one of the most challenging moments for everybody in leadership, um, if not the most challenging. And I think as a new CEO in a, in a business six months in, uh, where I had um, just about started rebuilding my leadership team. Um, I recruited people I had never met physically, uh, all of those things that you've heard before, and then trying to get a sort of shared leadership agenda and 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 an action plan for COVID, you know, which really wasn't the action plan um, the, the month before. Uh, so yes, that was challenging. Uh, look, I think the learnings are really important because they maybe don't just apply to COVID. And, um, you know, in time of difficulty and change and crisis, I think it is always remarkable to me just how resilient people and businesses are. And it, it, it always astonishes me, you know, um, and I've seen this before in other sort of life situations. So that wasn't a surprising, but it was a great reminder that actually you can count on people when things are tough, when times are tough. Um, I think uh, for us at the Economist Group, what what really bound us together more than anything was that clarity of purpose. You know, we rose to the occasion where the world needed some trusted, fair-minded, non-partisan information and news on things that really mattered day to day. And so the fact that people knew that although they were working in sort of cubby holes, in fact, doing podcasts out of cupboards, you know, we, we were really creative. Um, they were doing things that really mattered and people needed that information and that clarity of purpose, uh, the, the power of that, I think, was transformational. Um, and that probably is true through any crisis, right, if you, if you have that clarity of purpose. Um, and then I think for, as a leader, the importance of staying optimistic and, and just continuing to shine the light and say there will be a light at the end of this tunnel, right? And I remember very clearly when we, The Economist came up with the cover, which had the light at the end of the tunnel. It was, I think, one of the iconic covers of our COVID coverage. I remember feeling like, yes, so I'm not the only one who believes it, right? And so I think that that sort of, um, you know, one of, I think one of the key things about leadership is to keep that belief, right? And to make sure that you never lose faith so that people have something to hang on to. 
Yeah, you're you're so right, and um, and it and it really was an an iconic cover. I mean, the coverage from your newspaper during this period has been extraordinary, as the Economist always does cover these world events in such an amazing way. I mean, have you found yourself kind of supported by that content? Have you found yourself sort of gravitating towards it as a leader? Well, look, I'll take no credit for it. First of all, we, you know, content is at the heart of the business. And, you know, our editorial team is led by Zanny, uh, sort of my partner in crime. And, you know, I would say that that was really where, um, you know, we shone during that period. Um, yes, you, we were we were very supported. You know, we had, uh, you know, we had a terrible year in terms of just the impact on our people and our partners and our suppliers. And we had some, had to leave some people go, but we had a very good business year. Um, and, you know, that was all down to people wanting to get access to that fabulous content and, and, and being willing to pay for it because it's unique and it is trusted. And so, yes, I think ultimately we are, you know, we, we shine because the content is, I think, world-class. Required reading, I think, Required for all reading. leaders. I think before I worked with you, The Economist was something I kind of you picked up on flights and sort of looked at periodically. Now I find myself just wanting to kind of you know, consume the whole thing, consume it on the app. But it sounds like an advert to The Economist. I don't mean it to be, but I, you know, have rediscovered a passion yes. for it. And you're right, your your partners in crime that produce the content, it's, uh, it is world-class. It really is. Um, but this is not an advert for The Economist, at least nope. not directly anyway. Um, who's most influenced the way you lead? Uh, Lara, you've worked in lots of different situations. Yeah, Who's been and, and, and I, I think the way I think about uh, my career and the influences is sort of in, in multi-chapters. And so I'd like to sort of maybe answer that question in sort of a number of parts. So um, I was very fortunate in my career to work for, for some fantastic leaders. And I think I took some something away from each of them. And I have this sort of little table in my head. And so Marjorie Scardina is probably the first female high-profile leader I worked for at Pearson at the time, although she, of course, started her life at The Economist. Um, and I remember very well, she was standing on stage um, and she said, with people, you have to err on the side of generosity. And that is the line I try to remember every day. And I thought she was so right. Um, I then had the fortune of working for David Gilbertson, who was sort of co-founded in former. And, um, you know, the, the sort of sentence next to his, his, his name is, you've got to be better at building things up than tearing them down. And you have to have fun in the process. And so I, I often remember him. And uh, I think working for Stephen Carter in former, I just understood the real power of excellent communication. Um, and so I think, you know, maybe that's, Maybe that's cheating, but it's a multi multi part answer because I think you know if you work for inspiration leaders, you take a little bit of something from each of them. Well, hopefully that's that's what I do anyway. It's not at all cheating, and they're uh, they're lovely examples. There's a lovely symmetry, isn't there, with Marjorie? I, I didn't know that. I always yeah. discover things about people who I thought I knew, and I, that's yeah. an amazing bit of symmetry. Did you ever imagine yeah. when you were well, working no, for Marjorie? Well, no, and it's even you know not to you know just to digress for a second. Actually, Helen Alexander, who also was a CEO here, was a mentor through the Insert Network to me. So I always feel like I've stepped into these absolutely beautiful shoes of all these women who are here before me, and I never ever imagined I would be sitting in their office. <laughs> well, now there are many people um, looking at your shoes and following your path and being mentored by you, I know. So um, you uh, you continue to carry that torch. It's fantastic to hear. Um, let's talk about 
teams and let's talk particularly about executive teams because obviously for a CEO as you've sort of hinted a little bit already that's such a critical team and during the last couple of years been so critical what for you is the secret to a really effective exec look I'll start by saying that I you know I think you you can do better here every day as a as a leader right I'm not sure maybe maybe I'm selling myself short but I'm not sure I would say I am yet the perfect leader of an executive team but I think the things that are important are uh, that idea of fellowship and shared leadership agenda are really important. So a team of equals with a shared purpose and vision. Um, and and um, I think shared ownership of the business as opposed to divisional ownership of bits of it. Um, and that takes time, right? People have to connect and, and, and have this vision. I think that's one. Um, two is not being afraid to sort of make some difficult decisions about whether people are going to be able to do what you need them to do, right? So people, I think, all arrive with best intentions and we all recruit people with best intentions. They don't always work out that way. And so being able to have really good, open, honest, sort of um, respectful conversations about this isn't working out, I think is important. Um, and um, because otherwise the whole team suffers, I think that's that's probably my, my lesson there. Um, and then ultimately back to sort of the David, David Gilbertson, you know, the wine bar theory. I think there has to be some fun in it. Um, you know, I think the secret of a good executive team is people who can work together, but also have a really good time together. Uh, people you want to hang out with. Um, and even if they're different to you, there's something really interesting about being in their presence. And, you know, I'm blessed with that at The Economist. Just an unbelievably interesting group of people. It's wonderful to hear. And, and you're so right about getting that blend of people who want to just hang out together. I love that expression. And in our work with Xcos, you we often share this point of view and you get people looking at you quite quite quizzically saying, well, this is, this is a professional environment. We just need to complement each other from a work point of view and surely that's enough. But you know it. When people are connected and they have that, yeah. just that, as you say, fascination with each other, actually. Yeah. You can feel it, can't you? Yeah, especially in a crisis, because it goes down to those connections, right? All the other rules can go out the window in a crisis, but that connection is what keeps you all on the same page. And I think that's important. And it's hard to build. And, you know, new teams in particular, I think it takes time. It's not a, you don't go to an offsite and it happens. That not that the truth? Ain't that the truth? All right. Um, last couple of questions. Changes on your horizon. You've hinted at the transformation of the media industry. You find yourself or continue to find yourself at the very epicentre of that, as you have for a while now. Big changes on your horizon. Look, I'm going to cheat again because we're on the eve of COP and I've been thinking about this. I think I'm very happy to talk about media change, but we've heard it all before, right? Um, I think the change we all need to focus more on is climate change, right? Uh, because I can't see anything in any of our lives that isn't going to be touched by it. Um, and I, and it, you know, like many of us, having read the reports that have been issued over the last few days, I'm disappointed in us. Um, and I'm an optimist, and I drive change, and so I'm all for it. Let's go. Um, but I think we need to take a moment to really think about you know, in, in relative terms, just how much we obsess about our careers, our businesses, and then lots of other things, and how little yet we all obsess about this big change that's happening to our world. And, um, you know, without being melodramatic, um, we, I think we'll solve it. I'm an optimist. But I think, you know, you know, the, the clock is more than ticking, and the time is now. So wherever I can, you know, I am making sure that I, that I uh, read up, learn up, and, and lean into this. 
uh, and we, you know, luckily at Economist, we have a platform to to sort of affect the brain print, if not the footprint of the world. Yeah, I, it's um, been watching some of the events that you are curating, and obviously the material in the newspaper um, about it. It is uh, everything revolves around this, doesn't it? There are so many priorities for a contemporary CEO or for all of us, actually, as, as adults, but there just doesn't look like anything that is existentially as challenging as this. And you're right, on the eve of COP, uh, as we are, this will probably come out after COP, but on the eve of COP, it doesn't look great. I hope when people are listening to this, they will be basking in the glow of what turns out afterwards to have been a fantastic COP, because uh, if the world doesn't wake up to this very, very fast, um, it's a challenge. But like you, I'm an optimist, as you know. So uh, yeah, well said. I like that. Very good. Uh, Finally, um, aspiring CEOs listen into our show. We get messages from them about the support that they've got and the encouragement they've got from these um, sessions. Uh, You, uh, 20 years ago, maybe you weren't even aspiring to be a CEO, but uh, somebody who is, what are those, what are the big tips you'd give them in the midst of their career now? What's going to put them in the strongest position to uh, take on your role in the future? Yeah, I think choose well. I think that's a, a easy lesson. But by that, I mean every role. Uh, as I've just demonstrated, you learn something in every role. You certainly have to choose well by the time you choose your CEO role. But but you know, if you're going to be on that ship, uh, you need to sort of make sure the crew is the, the the crew you want to be sailing with when the winds hit, and you need to make sure you buy into the mission of where you're going. And and that's as true when you take your first job as it is when you take your. CEO role, particularly true when you take a CEO role, I think, but sort of learning to choose well is probably really important. Um, and I think people today have have the choice and have much more information than say I did when I started. You know, th- there, there are many more um, alternatives and ways of being successful than there were maybe when you and I started that. Um, the second one is, and this probably applies more to being in the sort of CEO part of your career, which is you know, be bold, right? Um, be bold because certainly by the time you're the CEO, it's rare that you'll find people who are, who dare to be more bold than the CEO. And so what you're doing is you're setting the yardstick for ambition. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to be vocally bold about the ambition for the business. And that gives people permission all the way through the organization to be, to think big, Right. Um, and and I think I've experienced that both in the positive and the negative in my career. So I, I, that's probably a tip. Um, I think maybe another one is, you know, remember that you can't please all the people all the time. Now, by the time you're the CEO, that means all of your stakeholders all the time. But if you're in your first or second or third job, that means you're not going to get on with every colleague, every boss, every you know HR person, every and that's okay, right? That is life. And maybe don't try, you know, try and understand why, but don't. Try, don't beat yourself up about it. Just make sure you're focused on the right people at the right time. Um, and so I think those those might be three. I like it very much. Choose well, be bold, and accept. Make peace almost with the fact that you can't please all the people all the time, whilst, of course, trying to build productive relationships, you know, people you want to hang out with. Um, Lara, you've taken us on a lovely 15-minute journey from, uh, you know, getting up in the, early in the morning to walking in the shoes of some giants to the greatest existential challenge that we face. And I can't wait, as I'm sure all of the other listeners can't, to read The Economist's coverage of 
with COP and no doubt the economists continuing efforts to help us all to make sense of this big challenge that we have. But we are also super inspired by being connected to you, Laura, and we continue to wish you and the rest of the economist team great success in the months and years ahead. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. And uh, thank you all for your custom and keep reading. <laughs> Becoming the CEO of a 183-year-old organisation is clearly no normal leadership gig, especially when that organisation has such a significant place on the world stage. Add to that a major transformation programme and a pandemic curveball, and you'd think you'd have the perfect platform for some serious performance pressure. And yet, despite all of that, Lara, as you heard, is the epitome of poised and purposeful leadership. From building fellowship with her colleagues to helping them to see that light at the end of the tunnel, she's another outstanding example of someone who leads with belief, humility and energy. Just don't ask her for a meeting before nine in the morning. I particularly love that idea that she shared toward the end there, that The Economist helps with the brain print of humanity so that we can all obsess a lot more with rapidly reducing our footprint on the planet. Thanks, Lara, for your time and your teams for their efforts. Thanks also to you for listening. And I hope that your Meet the CEO subscription is as active as your Economist subscription. If not, well, there's a button somewhere on your screen that you need to be clicking. Meantime, best wishes in all your endeavours and look forward to welcoming you to the very next episode of Meet the CEO.